Hi, this is Andy Crawshaw from the Game Plan Podcast, where we'll be discussing functional fitness, health, well-being, and becoming your best version. If you're looking to perform at your best in the gym, on the competition floor, or in just everyday life, listen in with Carter Douglas, the creator of the Game Plan, and myself. Hey guys, this is Carter Douglas. We'll be discussing topics and strategies that you can put to practice right away to build long-term habits for life. Welcome to episode six, guys. It is Andy from TGP Fit, and I'm with Carter today. We're going to talk about a few things, but first of all, just want to say uh, thank you for listening to episode five. We got a lot of good feedback from that. What do you think about the uh, the last episode? Last episode was good. I definitely feel like there's we covered a few topics with this whole isolation stuff that uh, made people really think about their training, especially with that little spreadsheet. That sorry, that um, document that we put out, that PDF that we put out there. Yeah, I don't think we actually talk too far into how to use that properly. Maybe we should just elaborate a little bit. And it's more of just a, uh, a basically a, a way to be more aware of how you are programming for yourself if you don't have anyone uh, who is programming for you. It's more of that. It's not really a, a plan to write your actual workout in there. It's more just the, the major uh, systems that you're, uh, that you're uh, using. So like your uh, movement patterns. It's outlining those specific movements that you're uh, dominant over the entire week. Pretty much think of it as like a check-in system. Yeah, it's a better way of putting it. So a check-in system. Every you know Saturday, Sunday, whatever you class as your rest day, whatever you class as the end of your week anyway, you could just write down what you've done for that previous week and then assess, have I done too much of X? Have I been absolutely overloading one joint of my body or one movement pattern and then I can reassess for the next week to make sure that everything is well balanced to prevent any injuries. Exactly. Or if you're just lacking entirely in, let's say, in the example that we posted, lunge, you have zero lunge movements in your entire week's programming, then just start implementing that in and for the following week. Yeah, definitely agree there. It's going to be an interesting one. We'll discuss a little bit more later on the show when we're talking about some of our goals, which we're going to use you guys, you listeners, to keep us accountable a little bit. But we're definitely going to have to use this to really make sure that we don't overdo any of our movement patterns just trying to strive for these goals. Yeah, that's the, I actually didn't think about that just till you just said it now. I mean, yeah, with any goal, you're going to be a lot more dominant in those movement patterns to achieve it. So even just having that in mind and balancing around that, maybe we should talk about that later on in the episode. <laughs> when we cover the goals part, I definitely reckon we should. We'll, we'll definitely discuss that a little bit. Absolutely. But anyway, we wanted to start off this episode with discussing an interesting topic that we've been talking about during the entire week, which is who is probably the most suited to CrossFit? How, how would you describe that perfect person? So the avatar and background That's of one. a human being. So, you know, where what is the most ideal background for a human being walking into the functional fitness realm is what we sort of discussed a few times over the last few days, as in... If someone walks in off the street and goes, oh, I want to become a very good elite level functional fitnesser, fast mm. exerciser. Fast exerciser, okay. What, what would their ideal background be? And yeah, we discussed all sorts of things on this sort of realm. Yeah, just looking at it, I mean, there are quite a, a few. Could you even outline the main avatars of this? Like, for instance, someone who has a sporting background, who has maybe played a lot of 
you know, team sports in the past or even someone who, who has no experience that is just really here just looking for fitness, just uh, to better their, um, their health. There, is there maybe like a certain specific avatars that you can almost uh, put into boxes here? Yes, yeah, definitely. There's definitely, definitely that you can. I mean, but there is so many because we are all individuals here. But for the sake of the perfect avatar, the perfect person walking into the functional fitness realm, we're going to use that as a, uh, that individual is trying to be good at the sport. This person's not just walking in chasing health because you can really come in from any background, be chasing health and functional fitness is going to better you in that way in the form of CrossFit. Any form of training really is going to better you in any, in any way there. But this person is chasing what we call elite level fitness. So we're looking at someone who wants to be an RX athlete down the road. Yep. Someone who wants to be competitive. All right, cool, cool. So let's take that as the, the ideal avatar. Who would you say would be the perfect candidate coming in? Before I go into that, I want to ask you a question. Oh, okay. What's your background? Let, let's talk about each other's background. Where in your life, what sports have you played? And roughly what sort of level have you played at? Mm, okay. And where would you say, what would you say your training background looks like? Uh, going back to where I probably would say I would start fitness would be, I did a little bit of martial arts back in like, you know, when I was you know in primary school, not too much of that, but it was at a moderate level that went into high school and I did a lot of team sports, a lot of athletics and I got into sprinting. So I was a, a decent sprinting. Yeah. So I was a decent sprinter um, for the uh, 100 and I did all right the 400, but uh, I wasn't as, um, I didn't favor that as much, but then straight uh, it, during high school, uh, the thing that was the most um, obvious and prevalent was bodybuilding. I was just always lifting weights and that's where I would say I was my, uh, my dominant um, background in terms of fitness. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So how about your stuff, man? So mine's or oh, been training probably like majority of the life. I've always been sporty kid besides when I uh, became a very lazy teenager and just loved video games way too much. But even then riding the pushback a lot around that time. But I tennis was probably my dominant competitive sport as a kid. But throughout primary school, there was gymnastics, tennis, soccer. They were probably the main ones. Then going on from that, I played tennis partway through high school. Then since then, I've delved into like obviously CrossFit, but delved into weightlifting, even done a lot of strongman work. Other than that, they're probably the main ones besides the odd weekend warrior, you know, jump in and play a football game here and there or something Mm. like that. But they're the main, I would say my main indicators or sorry, main aspects of my training background. Did you ever have like a, like a weightlifting phase, like a bodybuilding phase in high school at all? Not really. Besides the odd home gym workout with like one of those all-in-one machines or just a little bit of a, sweet, I want to chase a pump or I want to get a little bit bigger for the ladies. Probably that sort of attitude coming from teenage Carter. But other than that, really, there there wasn't that much of one. Interesting. Okay. That started not too long before the CrossFit journey did. So it was more like you'd want to lift weights to benefit the CrossFit side of things. Initially, it was want to lift weights to be stronger as well as yeah. look a little bit better. 
build a little bit more muscle. And then I quickly found CrossFit after that and went, oh, stuff this. I actually don't enjoy that that much. I much prefer CrossFit. So I got into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me, why is that relevant, you think, with this? I just wanted to talk about our backgrounds before oh, okay. we delve straight into the in-depth things of of who is the ideal avatar. I just wanted to, so people have an understanding of where we've come from as well, so they understand who we are as right. individuals. When you did start CrossFit, how did you uh, feel you stacked up against the rest? My starting of CrossFit journey was very different to a lot of others. Um, and that is due to, I didn't actually get access to a barbell for a very long period of time when it came down to actual CrossFit classes. So, you know, I didn't learn how to snatch or clean and jerk for probably close to a year after actually starting CrossFit. Really? So what was the majority of the training then? Uh, so where I started CrossFit, pretty much it was 30-minute uh, sessions initially, and majority of those were around 20-minute AMRAPs, and they were very much body weight biased. There was only a couple of pull-up bars in the gym, so even using a pull-up bar was very scarce, depending on how big, busy the classes were. Our heaviest kettlebell was a 16 kilo. So if you got given that, you're the strong guy in the class. So basically, like your your experience with CrossFit at the beginning sounds more like HIT training is today. Pretty much, yeah. yeah HIT or like um, Orange Theory. Yes, yeah, yeah. Very, very interval-based, very much of a, you know, interval-based, high-intensity work, fast, 20 minutes in, out, done, see you later, go home, explanation, workout, you're good. How'd that apply to you training with a proper barbell afterwards? Is that a good progression? No. No. No, because I I had a, an all right strength base going into it because during that time of doing that CrossFit stuff, I did have access to a gym. So I was an individual who would actually go and do some extra strength training but I couldn't, I found it very hard to learn new movements. Plus also, I didn't even know what a snatch was. So, you know, I didn't even oh, attempt yeah. to try and teach myself. It was actually my first CrossFit Open that I learned about how to snatch literally two days before the first workout, which involved heavy snatches. And then that forced me to actually self-teach the snatch. So literally, I learned how to snatch by myself, YouTube videos, watching good lifters, everything like that. Okay. Question on that. Is there any mirrors in that gym? There was, but I couldn't lift around those mirrors. I mean, uh, sorry, I could. we could squat around those and we could do some dumbbell work around those, but we couldn't do things like um, Olympic weightlifting around those due to space requirements. Right, because I was just going to say, like, it's very difficult, I found, to basically uh, master a movement without actually seeing yourself. If you're not recording yourself with, like, a phone um, or, you know, in, like, a, a traditional... Um, a Globo style gym, you'd actually have the mirrors to watch yourself do the movements so you can start perfecting that. How'd you start actually like doing well at snatching, for instance, without all these aids? Or did you actually start with recording yourself? No, there was no recording happening in uh, probably for a good two or three years into CrossFit for me, besides the potential of like someone else recording me when I was going for a PB, but that was never me asking them or anything like that. A lot of it was literally going by absolute feel. Okay. There was completely uh i was not a, uh, I was not watching myself lift often it was completely by going by feel watching others lift to what i thought was correct and then teaching myself from there um eventually probably about mm, year and a half ish into 
the CrossFit journey, I went and did a weightlifting seminar uh, course. So the AW, uh, yeah, AWF one, um, which that helped me a lot with actually one, actually educating others on how to do the snatch and clean and jerk for weightlifting, but also learning myself about how to actually move a barbell well. Did you chase a coach after that seminar? Uh, I've never, to be fair, I've never really had an actual in-person coach. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So all of my coaches have been through correspondence, through online stuff. I, I mean, sorry, I'm talking about in the CrossFit realm, just so you guys know. I obviously had uh, in-person coaches when, you know, throughout my sporting background as a kid, but I've never really had an in-person coach. I've had the odd person went by attending seminars and things like that, or, you know, um, courses that the a coach would give me advice, but I've never had a full-time someone who I would consider as a, as my coach. Like someone who would like actually PTU one-on-one in person, really. Like say, yeah. you know, stick your butt out. I kind of give you those cues. You had to make those cues up for yourself. Pretty much. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, when coming across it myself, uh, I, actually tell me this. Between not lifting a barbell and all that kind of stuff, doing the Metcons and then starting to train uh, for more Olympic style movements like the snatch and the clean jerk, how do you feel how your body was responding to that from going into strict, basically creating resistance for yourself work into almost trying to be a lot more efficient because that's the transition right it's efficiency you're trying to be more efficient with the barbell versus being you know doing curls for instance or overhead press where you're trying to create resistance what was that like that experience of transitioning between those two uh uh, styles of fitness i always had a good understanding of trying to be efficient in literally even just coming from sporting backgrounds from gymnastics through to tennis through to even soccer you want to be as efficient as possible. I didn't spend long enough time period in the, let's say the bodybuilding realm to be trying to make things hard for myself for the sake of making them hard for myself. I think that's where we differ because that's exactly my goal of all the movements is trying to make it hurt as much as possible, but in the most inefficient way, yep. essentially. But that's, I guess, the goal that you know I had versus yours where it's trying to move the weight and actually perform on a more um, you say aerobic level, anaerobic level, just being faster at uh, your your goal is reps in CrossFit. Yes. yes, yeah, yeah, in yeah, in all this, uh, I suppose that's where coming from a, bo- a bodybuilding background, you a lot of the bodybuilding men- mentality is yeah, you don't if, count your reps until it hurts, basically. Yeah, yeah, the good old Arnie pump and iron sort of mentality. But with a lot of the sports that I've done, it's always been you want to win. And you want to, which depending on the sport, that will differ. Whatever winning is will differ, but you want to do so in the most efficient way possible because the most mm. moving the most efficient way possible will mean that you will do better in the long run. Yeah. It's, yeah. Principles are just like the shortest distance between A and B. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, yeah, let's take our two backgrounds. Yeah. I feel like they're pretty opposite in, in some degree. Yeah. Because you had a lot more of a, a sporting background where it's team sports, you, you enjoy that side of things. I was more bodybuilding. If you were going to choose someone, let's say you, st- you stepped out of this entire equation, uh, you have person A who is you, yeah. and person B who is me, who would be the perfect candidate? Oh, oh! if we're utilizing myself or yourself here, yeah. I believe none of us. Neither of us is good. Neither of us is good. I believe that you had a better background to set you up for longer. 
um, which I'll talk about in just a second. But I feel like both of us lack a lot. Mm, okay, then. So my thoughts on that are where you lack, I made up for. Where I lack, you made up for. Mm. So pretty much like if you and I just had a child right now. If we and, fused no, together. <laughs> yeah, Dragon Ball Z style fuse. Is and know that child is not Connor. No, he is not perfect for, he does not have a perfect background. I'm kidding. Sorry, Connor, if you listen to this. Anyway, um, my thoughts behind this is if someone walks into CrossFit or into functional fitness and wanting to be competitive, the ideal background for them would be a strong bias in resistance training from their training background, e.g. bodybuilding, for example, with a solid aerobic base, which would preferably come from sport. Right. So you would not recommend someone who has come from a background of like, let's say, uh, long, long marathons. If someone came in with like a, um, let's say an ultra marathon background, yeah. dependent on their actual age as well as their training age, that is a very good background. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, yeah. you're trying to actually gain strength is going to be very, very hard for that individual. So that individual is very rare. He's someone who's strong, who has a good, uh, has really good motor control, but also has a very great uh, aerobic capacity base. That person's rare. Yes, very rare. Like if I could actually isolate this even more, a bodybuilder who is trained in any form of long aerobic endurance sport, that could be something like uh, a swimmer, even a triathlete would be good. A background, let's say even like a football player, someone who's had a strong bias in football players, uh, sorry, strong bias in football with a lot of actual bodybuilding or resistance training is going to be, be able to walk into CrossFit very, very good. You'll see a lot of um, uh, either American football or even rugby players walk into CrossFit generally fairly good as well because they most of the time have a good strength and conditioning background and also they have built a strong base, a strong base of their energy systems, like their aerobic work and their anaerobic work. So, Right. I mean, they are also trying to become, I'm guessing, to get to that point, elite at their sport, even the mindset uh, to get there is a, a big factor as to why they'll be perfect for the CrossFit because they've already put in that that work and know that they have that mental capacity to to really be in pain throughout training. Yeah. Because yep. I'm, I'm not too... Um, they the hours. Exactly. I'm not too educated on the kind of uh, um, fitness regimen that uh, a football player would go and uh, endure. What generally do they kind of, how do they train? So, I mean, obviously this completely depends on what level they're at. But let's say um, waffle level. Waffle level. Also depends on what club they're in. Oh, boy. (laughs) But a big thing there would be pretty much it's on a basic level. It is long aerobic work runs that could uh be just long enduring runs it could be interval style training with around their running but longer distance work so real aerobic base building and bodybuilding they, okay. their version of strength and conditioning is a lot of things along the lines of bench press bicep curls okay maybe some squats every now and then in the off season to make sure that the quads are stronger but really they minimize that stuff when it's actually in season because they don't want to um, risk injury but their strength conditioning is at a real basic level. All right. So to sum it all up, basically you have to be, well, the perfect avatar uh, Avatar would be really efficient at the one side of the spectrum, which is bodybuilding. So this end, let's say it's black, the other side is white, which is the aerobic 
uh, uh, capacity, what's in middle? What's in the middle of those two points? Someone is that just someone who is uh, really good at enduring just the pain side of things? Like, what are you trying to build at that point if they're already good at both of those? Yeah. So if someone walks in and they have a strong base in aerobic work, mm. so a strong aerobic base, and a strong base in actually hypertrophy work or even resistance training work. Yeah. That person, all the long, all the, um, sorry, all the stuff that takes a lot of time to build has already been done. Right. Okay. So muscle takes time to build. So does a strong aerobic base. Okay. Hmm. It is a lot easier if these two people are used to, sorry, if this person is used to resistance training and long aerobic work, it's easy to teach them the skills within the middle. Obviously they may need a little bit more strength development dependent on the individual. So they may need to get a little bit stronger but you can ease much easier teach them the skills that they need. And then all you need to do is actually just teach them how to hurt. Really, if you think about CrossFit, we have our strength side and then we have our energy system work. Obviously, there's the gymnastics work in there, but that really falls under both of these together because you need mm. a strength base and you need your energy systems here. But looking at that, of if they've got the strong aerobic base, you can easily just teach them how to move faster. Teach them how to move faster when it comes down to their energy system training. And then on the actual uh, strength development side of things, if they have a strong resistance training based, okay, then you can easily teach them the skills around the movements that they need specific. Let's say the weightlifting movements, the snatch, the clean and jerk, mm. or even things like the butterfly or the kipping pull up, bar muscle up and whatnot. They've already got that base of the adequate strength or at least the adequate muscle development because that's a big thing here as well is an individual walks in with no pre-built muscle they're a lot more risk of they have a lot higher risk of injury. Mm, mm. Yeah, they don't have what what we call body armor. You yeah. know, our muscles are pretty much our body armor. We've got our body armor. We've got the tendon and uh, ligament resilience. Our muscles are stronger, which means our joints will be stronger in turn. So, you know, if you take someone who is only an an ultra marathon runner coming in, they probably don't have the adequate upper body strength to come in and start doing bar muscle ups day one. And if they do then they may not be able to actually load themselves that much or do many of those because they're at a higher risk of injury. Right. Do you find it's actually difficult to transition someone who is more dominant in the hypertrophy side into learning those skills? Because I know a lot of the skills require you to uh, loosen up and become a lot less rigid. What are the limitations you found were most challenging to transform someone who is from the bodybuilding side into someone who's efficient at the movements? That depends on their actual training background within bodybuilding, how long they've done it for so and, training age. and actually their approach to it mentally. Mm. You see a lot of very, very silly people who train in bodybuilding or trying to train for aesthetics or just even hypertrophy who don't move well. Those people don't know actually how to move their body well. They're just training for the sake of training. They're the people who do 50 sets of biceps a week but never touch their lower body you know, or never actually work on any actual uh, upper body, sorry, upper back strength, they might just purely be doing, you know, 50 sets of chest. Mm, so they never had that holistic movement pattern approach to it. Yeah. Yeah. They're just doing things for the sake of looking better rather than actually doing things for the sake of building muscle. Yeah, good point. Good point. Well, well, looking at from the other side of the spectrum there at the aerobic side, is there anything there that you find challenging transitioning that into someone who can uh, perform in the skill basis uh, to say, like to so say, for instance, who is really good at the, let's say, a nice 10K run, what's the hardest um, 
what was the most challenging part in transforming that into a, let's say, a, a, a quick 2K? Yeah. So a big thing with that person is generally they have spent so long and especially because a lot of their training would be long, enduring work. So they're not necessarily moving that fast per se. Their 10K time might be fast, but they're not actually moving very fast in their training. So a lot of that really means that you need to actually wake up and fire up their nervous system. You need to get them actually learning how to sprint. And I don't mean that in necessarily just a running sprint format, but actually learning how to produce power. Okay, that could be in their lifting, that could be in their actual running, could be on their assault bike, could be doing anything, okay? So learning how to wake their nervous system up a little bit more and actually get that firing on, on all ends is the hardest part, which is where why I like the resistance training background coming in as well, because it is very easy to dampen the nervous system by simply chucking someone on an assault bike and moving at a constant pace for an hour, but it is harder to wake up the nervous system by... Yeah, yeah really trying to stimulate it. Okay. So have you ever encountered this person, this, this perfect avatar? It's really hard, obviously, to <laughs> say that there is a perfect human being. I feel like there are a lot of individuals who I've encountered that walk in with a very strong base, meaning I start coaching them and they walk in with something that they their training background is just awesome for CrossFit, meaning they take a lot less work to do everything else and to build than what other individuals would. Right. So what would you say, let's say we got that person in though, mm. what would then be the big factor as to why it would not be good? Like, let's say they're a huge giant, they're, they're strong, they're powerful, but gymnastics, let's say that, that requires a lot of body weight movement. Is there ever an avatar which maybe limited based on that um, that metric? Limited based on their gymnastics? Yeah. So obviously we're taking, let's say someone walks in and they uh, have a very good resistance base and a very good aerobic base. Yeah. There's a couple of things that could limit them there is when, especially if we're talking about specifically around functional fitness, functional fitness seems to have created a perfect, uh, what's the word, like a perfect avatar yet again for the size weight that you need to be so mm. if you are on an extreme of two foot taller than that you're probably not going to do as well if you're 30 kilos heavier than that you may not do quite as well um using that as well if these like uh so genetic pot potential is a big thing in there and also just the mental resilience of the person okay some people really don't like hurting and crossfit is actually a sport of pain in a way Right. Is there any other sport that kind of really practices uh, in that, that field of pain where you're trying to enter into those depths? Yes, lots of sports. But it is very, I mean, any sport at an elite capacity generally does. Has to really, yeah. Yeah. But within that uh, pain or that suffering, it will come down to what energy systems are being used as well, depending on whether it applies to CrossFit. Because looking at CrossFit, a lot of CrossFit... Uh, time domains and um, focuses here are generally around the anaerobic to aerobic power realm. Right, okay. There's actually a lot of perspectives here we can take on this. Yeah. Yeah. What, what if I walked in uh, with neither of those two um, bases developed, but I had a really great gymnastics base developed? So my, I'm able to hold isometrics um, really well. I uh, had a very, I was strong, 
but I wasn't experienced in lifting weights. I never really went on many long aerobic uh, runs or anything like that. Would that gymnast be a good uh, place to start? That's pretty much almost describing me as an avatar as I walked well, in. Well, really, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Me versus you, you were close, probably almost closer to the perfect avatar walking in. You just could have been a little bit more aerobic and dabbled in some team sports, and that would have been amazing. Yeah, exactly. So just go back 10 years and do that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, now, using that gymnastics background, gymnastics is a very solid background for the sport of CrossFit purely due to the body awareness and the base strength building. Even though it's not necessarily resistance training from moving external load, it is a lot of resistance training from moving your own body. So you do learn to actually move well throughout that time. Generally, those generally gymnasts are very powerful, very explosive, mm. but they generally lack in the long aerobic base. And I've generally found that they actually don't quite regularly don't like hurting that much, don't like suffering. Okay. As a general rule of thumb, I, there is obviously a lot of uh, differences in that, but and a lot of other factors, but. I mean, we were talking about this the other day, that study that I told you about. Yeah. So um, I can't remember the exact school in the States, but there was a uh, a weightlifting coach approached a bunch of, approached a gymnastics coach and grabbed a bunch of their athletes, a bunch of male gymnasts that were between the ages of 16 and 17. And they uh, the, this weightlifting coach taught this group of gymnasts how to jerk, okay? So how to push press, push jerk, and split jerk, okay? In this time, didn't teach the clean or the snatch because they are predominantly a lot more lower body based than what the jerk is. Mm. And the gymnastics coach pretty much said no because they didn't want to overdevelop the lower bodies of these gymnasts because they their sport is predominantly upper body. Anyway, the weightlifting coach, coach taught them how to push press, push jerk, and split jerk. He spent literally about half an hour on each, on each of those movements. Okay, so an hour and a half total of learning around these movements. Within that, afterwards, within the split jerk session, he got the athletes to actually test their maxes or at least a sub-max, meaning close-ish to a max, something like a heavy single, but not where it was form-breaking or injury-risking. Hmm. These 16-year-old kids who were give or take, you know, body weights between 45 to maybe 60 kilos at absolute heaviest, and that was like, one of the bigger kids, I'm pretty sure the max lifted was like 115 kilos, 110 to 115 kilos once we did the pound conversion. That's crazy. So, you know, this is a 16-year-old kid, zero background, learned how to split jerk in an hour of work, and then all of a sudden split jerking 110 to 115. Like what built that? Was it just because they had so so much work, um, so much upper body work done? that they can just hold that weight above their head? Like, is it just their isometric works that built that ligament strength? Like, what is it? Yeah, so obviously their joints are definitely strong enough. More than likely, obviously without seeing these individuals, they have spent a lot of time, because these were collegiate level um, gymnasts as well. So these, they'd spent a lot of time actually building their, um, building their strength in general, building their stability. So you put a barbell overhead and it doesn't necessarily phase them they're comfortable holding this heavy ass barbell over their head now that what they needed to learn was actually just how to get that barbell overhead and these gymnasts have a really strong background in knowing how to move their body well so mind muscle connection was there yeah body awareness was there and then they're just a strength and their ability to just have great mobility and lift um, heavy things yeah they can just do all of it yeah 
they walked in with being able to move their bodies so well. So all they needed to do was move their body and then just they, they move their body well. And then the barber will just end up in the position that they want it to rather than trying to move an external object, which is what a lot of people do when they walk into weightlifting. They're trying to move the external object around their body rather than move their body around the external object being the barbell. Right. Just like how you would do a clean and instead of you're, you're trying to lift the weights only slightly above the ground, but you're trying to duck underneath it pretty quickly just to achieve that lift uh, or get into the front rack position. So you're just doing it like that. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So gymnasts are a very good background when it comes into like, they can, they generally know how to move their body well. They'll generally pick up on a lot of the skills within CrossFit well. And generally they've got the capacity to actually be able to do the gymnastic side of CrossFit. The weightlifting side, they're sure they've probably got a strong background there, but I generally find that they suffer a lot more when it comes to actual the energy system work. You know, you chuck in a nice 1K row before a bunch of the uh, chest to bar pull-ups and sure, they may have chest bar pull-ups when they're fresh, but they sh- they may sub- crash and burn hard as soon as you actually fatigue them a little bit. Mm, good point, good point. So let's take it back a step and say, all right, we're looking at finding that potential elite athlete. We've got our bodybuilder, we've got our gymnast, and we've got our long uh, marathon made triathlete. Uh, triathlete. Mm. Out of those three, and let's say they were not dominant in any other... Uh, um, energy system other other than the one that they've, they've trained their entire life now those three which one would you choose to be uh would you choose as coach if you uh, got to choose without looking at any other factors let's say they all were really resilient they had the great mindset of an athlete they yeah. all had the background of maybe some uh sporting background but they just found comfort in bodybuilding one was in gymnastics and one was just just likes the uh the long triath- uh, triathlons but they all had the same mindset. They were essentially the same person, just with those variables changed. Who would you choose? You kill me here because there's so many other factors to this. But I'll the same more... person. They're the same person. There's no other factor. I would. I would probably choose the bodybuilder. Yeah. Yeah. So I. I would be okay. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I toot your own horn over here. So yes, that that does mean that Andy can become a very very good CrossFitter. You heard it right here. If I choose to. Now he actually needs to put some work in. If I want it. (laughs) But yes, it is easy. I can, the bodybuilder, they've spent the years actually learning how to move their body and move an external object. So on top of that, we can easily teach them how to learn to suffer and learn to endure through longer periods of time around their energy systems. And we can then just easily teach them the skills on top of their bodybuilding like weightlifting. Right. But... I mean, I'm honest, like, essentially, it doesn't really matter, I'm going to assume. Either way, either background you come from, you're still going to have to put in a ton of work. Yeah, either way, you're still going to have to put, a, put in a ton of work there, and you're definitely going to have to... So, obviously, that's where all the other factors come into it. Like, even something like um, team sports, CrossFit and functional fitness being an individual sport, doing team sports helps massively to that. Yeah. Just from the like the just the culture perspective as well. Yeah, culture's perspective, hard work perspective. You generally work harder when you're around others. The camaraderie perspective. You know everything is always a lot better with with others around. Then you also take into account um, your actual work ethic. You know you will generally work harder when others are around. So if you learn how to work hard, as soon as you go back to being an individual, sweet, you're going to be out. You at least know how to work hard. Mm, okay, I, I would almost say that the bodybuilding side would be 
a weakness in that perspective because you are a lot of the times by yourself unless you're training with friends and you're just lifting weights uh, more or less for a aesthetic uh, goal. So I would almost say it'd be uh, on the opposite side of what you just said there where it's like it probably would be a downside. Potentially, if, yeah. if that if I did not give those other metrics as the, as to that guy being the same person across all three um, energy systems, um, so yeah. How about let's go a little bit deeper into gymnastics because you said that's your background. That's yeah. kind of I would say your specialty in a way. Apparently, so. Well, you're you're the go to guy for that. I found <laughs> yeah because you're so damn good at them. But uh, talk about the training systems behind it because I feel that. You know, with, with weightlifting or uh, powerlifting and hypertrophy work, there's already systems based around those. But I haven't seen many around gymnastics exactly. Well, I don't really know many anyway. And my experience in gymnastics is limited. limited so I don't have a perspective myself. But can you give us yours? A big thing here is gymnastics is fairly new when it comes to exercising fast. If you think about gymnastics as a sport, it is pretty much artistic you are trying to look the best as well as do the the hardest things. You're not doing them the fastest though. Now, if you also take into account something along the lines of like calisthenics, that's just pretty much all about looks again and doing the hardest movements. You're not actually trying to move fast here. So a lot there's not a whole lot of systems built have that have been built or that have been built and shared with the public really around gymnastics because it is not a four-time sport generally. Right. And a lot of people are taking basic gymnastics principles and trying to apply them directly to functional fitness, which yes and no does and doesn't work. It's essentially like two forms of gymnastics. As you say that there is that artistic format of gymnastics, which is a very, like, you know, always hold, hold, holding the hollow holds during your, your movements and having that very strong calisthenic base. Et cetera, yeah. Exactly. Whereas the, uh, the, um, the application of that in functional fitness is almost the opposite you're just still trying to be efficient with gymnastic movements so would you say there's almost two different sides of this of gymnastics yeah pretty much there is you know the artistic gymnastics where you want to look as pretty as possible and then there is gymnastics for functional fitness which means you want to move as fast and as efficiently as possible now in general in general terms looking better majority of the time does mean that you are more efficient but there are times where that is not necessarily the case. So let's say I want to improve my personal gymnastics for the purpose of getting better at CrossFit, at yeah. functional fitness. Should I start with the uh, traditional gymnastic style training where I'm holding the hollow holds and, and pointed toes and all of these other things? Or should I go straight into trying to be efficient with the gymnastic movements training in a different way? Having a good, strong base is always important. Okay? Okay. Now, a system that I personally use when coaching gymnastics, there are four levels to the system. Okay? Now, the first one is literally building that strong base. Okay? All of these different levels, they don't work as individuals, as in you, once you've done level one, you don't move on to level two and never revisit level one. You're constantly trying to build them all up but you need to actually have prerequisites from level one before you can actually unlock level two mm. and then prerequisites from level two before you can unlock level three. So how that works for functional fitness is our end goal. Our level four 
is elite capacity, we will call it, meaning you want to be able to move well and move efficiently, sorry, move fast and move efficiently for a long period of time, okay? Yeah. So that is level four. We have the elite capacity there, okay? Now I'm going to go back and start from level one. Level one is our strength base, okay? So level one is building the strength around gymnast the gymnastics movement that you want to achieve. And you can break down any movement that you want to learn into these four skills if you want to get better at it, okay? So level one is building the prerequisite strength. A lot of what I see a lot coming from like a gymnastics background and people who do coach from a gymnastics background is they believe strength is everything, okay? Yes, strength is everything, but there is a lot more to it as well, which I'll talk about in just a second. You, in theory, you can't necessarily have too much strength, but at the same time, you can spend too much time in strength, which means you're not spending enough time in the other things, which means you are not getting your elite capacity at the end. So what does elite capacity look like? So let's say, I'm going to assume, this is just coming from me and tell me when I'm wrong, that you you built the strength and you're able to achieve, let's say in a workout, eight uh, strict, not strict, but eight efficient or gymnastics style uh, muscle ups. And then you're going into an, uh, um, I don't know, a, a row where you're just taxing your um, uh, aerobic system there and you're going back into the uh, muscle ups and then you're just super fatigued. Does the elite side of things mean you start kipping or do you try to achieve the, um, the strict movement still? I'll touch base on that in a second. First, I'm going to explain the middle two steps to actually teach people what the whole process is because we've talked about the start, we've talked about the end. Okay, So the start goal is building the strength base. Step number two is working on the skills of said movement. Okay, right. So we'll teach the muscle up here. Okay, You need to build the pulling and pushing strength to be able to do a muscle up. Step number two, the skills. You've got to actually be able to kip well. If it's a ring muscle up, you've got to actually learn how to control the rings. You've got to be able to kip. You've got to be able to learn how to transition. These are all skills. Okay, so you have to build those before you can um, actually do the movement. Okay, if you can't kip well on the rings, you're never going to be able to do the movement, which means you're never going to be able to build elite capacity in the movement. Mm, okay? okay, so there is no point in just building your pulling and pushing strength if you don't know how to kip well. So that's why building the skills is very, very important. Step number three is what I like to call advanced skills. Okay. Now, this might mean do if you, in the skills, if you have now unlocked the movement of the, the ring muscle-up, you have now achieved a ring muscle-up, mm. we're not just going to go straight into elite capacity and try to get you to do 30 for time. I'm not even going to get you to the point of doing 10 for time or 15 for time. I'm not going to get you to be trying to push this ring muscle-ups alongside things like toes to bar or even that row that you used yeah. because you don't you don't have full control of the movement yet, Okay. The advanced skills is when you take the skill, whatever you're trying to learn, and then you're trying to make it harder, okay? By that, I might mean you might add in like a ring muscle-up complex where it is now five beat swings into three chin, uh, chin over ring kipping pull-ups into a ring muscle-up, okay? So you're trying to make the skill slightly harder. Complex is one. You could even vary this again and turn this into like a backwards roll to support or even a forwards roll on the rings, okay? You could even then turn that into something along the lines of like a front uprise, which is catching a ring muscle up with straight arms, okay? Right. You're not catching on onto the rings, you're catching it with straight arms. Now, the reason why this is the next step before elite capacity is if you know how 
to move your body and move your body around the object that you need, whether that's a bar, rings, whether that's on the floor, anything like that, in different ways than, or sorry, in more advanced ways than the skill, you will know exactly how much effort you need to put in to perform the skill, okay? So if your front uprise is you putting in 100% effort, you will now know that you need to dial that back a little bit to put in 50% effort to achieve a regular ring muscle up, okay? What I like to call a, in CrossFit, well, in CrossFit, I call it a swinging strict ring muscle up is what most people generally achieve. Anyway, if your 100% is a front uprise and you now know how to dial that back and 50% is your swinging strict, if you can, if it's 50% for a swinging strict, you can now perform multiple of those. If you only know how to perform the kipping ring muscle up or swinging strict, like I was just referring to it as, then you do not know how to perform more of them because you don't know how to put in more effort yet. Yes. Okay. So right. if you learn how to do more, you can then do less better. Okay. Let's um, let's take it from my perspective where I remove that last step of actually trying to refine your ability to apply different uh, movement patterns to the perfecting the, uh, let's say in this case, the uh, ring muscle up. Let's remove that and we went straight into the actual uh, uh, trying to chain them within a CrossFit workout where you're activating other uh, energy systems. What's the downside to that? Lots of things. I'm assuming there is definitely going to be a lot of things. <laughs> One, what's the biggest? I'm guessing. I'm guessing injury is going to be a huge factor. Injury is a huge factor. Training bad movement patterns, as in you're reinforcing bad habits. You're fatiguing your system as an overall, and then you're attempting things that you've never done before, or you may uh, may have done before, but you may not have done enough times, or you don't have full control over. Right. So almost like. Let's say, for instance, a person that comes into the gym and achieves their first muscle-up and then goes into a workout where there are multiple muscle-ups as well as other uh, movements involved and they start chicken-winging the, the movement. Is that a common occurrence as to, uh, from not having that fourth step? Yes. When we take into account using gymnastics movements during fatigue and during energy system training – if they don't have the prerequisite skills built up before that, the skills and the advanced skills, generally you're going to see compensation or desperation. Compensation right. meaning something like a chicken ring wing because they're trying so hard to actually just get the movement because they feel they need to. Right, right. So the best course of measure once you get your first muscle up is now to just to refine it really. Yeah, refine it, get better at the basics, but then also actually learn how to advance the skill before you add it into hard conditioning work. Right. Would you, let's say you saw um, a member at the gym that actually did get their first muscle up and the next workout they did do had muscle up in it, would you actually recommend that they still scale it to like chest to bars until they refine the muscle up or should they uh, attempt maybe a different version of the muscle up or, or, or that workout where they're doing one muscle up and then chest to bars? I, that would come down to dependent on the workout. One, the volume of the of whatever the gymnastics movement is and also what how the workout is designed because when we're now looking at step four, step four is the elite capacity. Now, remember, you can take any movement and put it into this four-step process. Throughout the elite capacity, there are steps within that to learn how to be able to do lots, okay? First of all, your first step there to learn how to do elite capacity is doing many reps of the movement 
okay? Now, you're not going to go and add, you know, something that pre-fatigues you. Like if let's say you're working now on the handstand push-up, if I've only got one handstand push-up, I'm not going to go do a ton of shoulder press and then go straight into the handstand push-up. That is very inefficient and not very effective. Yep. You want to first learn how to do multiple reps of the handstand push-up, okay? Second step in there is do many reps of the movement under light aerobic fatigue, okay? So that might mean something, going back to the ring muscle of I'm going to tell you to do, I want you to do a two-minute row at a sustainable pace, something you can keep up. And then I want you to go over and do one or two ring muscle ups as singles. Okay. Now, once you can do that, I'm going to build that and go two minute row at an aerobic pace, followed by a double or even a triple of ring muscle ups. Okay. And we're going to build that because now you're practicing the movement under light aerobic fatigue, meaning you're not completely gassed. You shouldn't be getting off that row completely screwed and then not be able to do one because, or have to rest five minutes. It should be just light aerobic fatigue. Step number three is then adding in mixed modal or multiple different movements under higher fatigue before doing that gymnastics movements. So that might look like a CrossFit triplet or even something along the lines of like, let's say Fran, where it's like thrusters into pull-ups. Okay, we know we're now using the shoulders as a pushing movement, but then we're going into the pull-ups afterwards. Okay, so that is the third step. The fourth step is local muscular fatigue with that gymnastics movement which what that means is you are pre-fatiguing the muscles that you need for the movement before doing it. That would be the person who goes and does the benchmark workout JT, which is 21-15-9 of kipping handstand push-ups, ring dips, and push-ups. If you think about that, that is all pushing, all triceps. So I just because someone's just got handstand push-ups, I would never get them doing that movement in that workout because they are literally screwing them or shooting themselves in the foot by doing all the push-ups, all the ring dips, and then sweep their try and handstand push-ups. I would much prefer that person to start with something like a row handstand push-ups where it's light aerobic fatigue before they progress into something like that. So the last thing, just to sum that all up, the last thing you actually test is whether or not they can actually uh, perform the movement whilst that muscle group that is performing that movement is basically already at that point of no return almost. Pretty much, pretty much. Right. And that is the fourth step to actually like building elite capacity. Right. Now, these steps, they're not linear as in once you've done step one, just working on the movement by itself, you're, it's not like you tick that one off, you're done there. You will still always come back to that one because you need to in the sport of functional fitness. Uh, what about with a bodybuilder and blood occlusion? Because I know that's going to be a very big factor in how they're able to maintain a... Uh, or be able to re uh, repeat a movement uh, consistently throughout a workout, especially gymnastics movements, such as the muscle-up where you know blood occlusion is the factor. What's your perspective on that? You with, if a bodybuilder came to me and wanted to start gymnastics, it would, they would still go through this four-step process of build the strength. Once they got the strength, build the skill. Then they'd build the advanced skill. Then we would start working on their elite capacity. Once they're in elite capacity, you would find that a bodybuilder, very, it's obviously very, very dependent but the bodybuilder would probably find hardest doing, well, really in theory, the hardest is generally the mixed motor work and, and gymnastics. Okay. Okay, because that is obviously the most painful, the most amount of suffering you're going to have to go through. What could be equally as hard for certain people would be the local muscular fatigue, like the, the last one where we're talking about 
using the same muscles before going into a gymnastics movement, that one can be just as hard for some people, especially bodybuilders who walk in occluding a lot of blood. Mm. And by that, I mean occluding blood pretty much just means blocking blood into the muscle, bringing blood in and just holding it there, okay? Not actually able to flush that blood out. So, you know, you walk in, bodybuilding, they're, they're searching for that pump. In CrossFit, if you want to move efficiently, you don't want to pump. Mm, mm. Now, if a bodybuilder is so used to feeling pump in their arms, and then all of a sudden I got you to do ring rows and pull-ups in a workout, I'm pre-fatiguing your biceps with the ring rows, which is bringing blood into them, and then I'm trying to get you to do pull-ups, your body has not flushed that blood out. You're not going to be able to do as many reps as you normally would because you're, you have the pre-fatigued uh, biceps and you've got so much blood in there. So you're going to reach that blow up period that everyone knows about. Right. Okay. You heard it here first, guys. Doing strength work around gymnastics is not the only way to train it. Uh, but yeah, thanks for sharing that, Carter. I know you're the expert here. So um, it's, it's a much more of an enlightening experience hearing someone that uh, actually knows how to apply that to uh, functional fitness and i have no idea honestly but uh yeah thanks for that i would not say i'm an expert but more yes. of an expert than i am for sure <laughs> a big thing like rep going back a little bit here is a big thing that i see regularly is a lot of people know how to build their energy systems a lot of people know how to get stronger because those methods are used have been used for many many years Gymnastics is only fairly new in the functional fitness realm or the four-time realm, the fitness, the fast exercise realm. So those systems are actually still being uh, adapted and like improved regularly. Um, but going into that, talking about all the other different systems here, we've been setting some big goals recently. We've been setting some goals and we're going to share these with everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hard to even um, try to get the goals that we or achieve the goals that we've had in mind before everything virus wise, but uh, we wanted to transform a few of them just to see what we based on what we had available to us and uh, see if we can achieve them in a in a bit of a time domain that we'll share with you guys right now. Yeah, so a big thing I've found with Andy regularly as well, who, which you are right here. I don't know yes. why I referenced you as a third person. <laughs> but a big thing that I found with you is you set so many goals. You constantly have so many things that you were trying to work on as in you want to achieve X body weight, but you also want to achieve 100 kilo snatch. You also want to achieve this time on a run. You want to achieve this, this, and this, and this. Just yeah. on that as well, like going back into the last episode when we did talk about uh, nutrition and my goal was solely just to reduce body fat, that was actually the only thing I was thinking about that entire 16 weeks of the cut. I wasn't thinking about thinking about you know increase, increasing my uh, my snatch by any numbers at all or strength in any way. It was just get fat down. Yes, something I've found well with that as well. I was very impressed with that because talking with you in the past, you've always had a million things going at once, and this time you finally committed to 100% to that one thing. And you know what? It it worked. Yeah, <laughs> I actually did get to the lowest body fat probably in my life. Uh, you know, so there is a truth to having just you know one rabbit to chase. If you're not sure of what I just meant there, I meant like you know the, the whole philosophy of you know if you chase two rabbits, you ca you catch no rabbits. Yes, yes. So um, I just had the one goal there. That and... reminded me of the movie Snatch, <laughs> where they released a rabbit. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I just sidetracking there, but. Basically, having the single goal there, you know, really does help or even just having one or two because I guess there was the other side of the uh, men's physique, which is also achieving um, 
uh, a, a better uh, a physique in terms of how you angle your body and and, and basically pose in front of a, an audience. So that was another aspect to it. But the the center goal, the the big rock, the the one rabbit was just look lean, and so look huge and jacked. That's it. That's it. So. Now that we're able to step back and have a look at that, well, I, I personally now have to change my entire aspect and the way I look at the same goals. We have set a few now that uh, we're going to try to hit in the next uh, four weeks, or and we're going to share our progression of that with you, um, I guess, between now and then throughout these podcasts. So, yeah, yeah. So do you want to start off with yours? Yeah, I'll talk about mine in just a second. Something that was going through my mind when trying to sort of come up with these in general is it's easy to come up with many, many different goals. And these goals can be completely irrelevant to one another. So you can't actually work on them both at the same time. Mm. Okay. So, but in saying that, what, how you really need to decipher these goals, you can come up with a million different goals. Okay. And you can prioritize them as to which one you want to achieve first. But a big thing is, is how you want to prioritize those is by using joy and happiness as your measure okay Mm, mm. look into this and go what out of these goals what would actually if you achieve would bring the most joy to your life would bring the most happiness to your life if any of them really yeah because a lot of people have 20 different goals and they're trying to achieve all of them at once and achieve none of them which means you one do not feel a sense of completion or satisfaction and two you don't bring that perceived happiness and joy that that goal will apparently or with that any of these goals would apparently uh, give you. So if you also, if you feel like you are going to be happier or you're going to be more joyful from a certain um, goal being achieved, you're probably going to put more effort into that goal. Exactly. And there's also that perspective of even before saying that goal of actually understanding, all right, what, what is actually your goal or what is a goal that has been more imposed on you from your environment? Let's say, for instance, if you come into CrossFit or anything in general um, and your goal seems way out in the distance that doesn't even sound remotely like you, that probably is not necessarily going to make you happy. It's going to basically satisfy more of a I fit in in this environment sort of goal versus what I truly want to achieve in my life. Let's say you came in and you want to uh, start CrossFit so you can be an elite athlete. Do you want to be an an elite athlete because... The people around you want to be elite athletes, you want to fit in there, or do you just want to get, you know, fit and healthy for your family or other aspects? There are so many different factors here, but trying to decipher, you know, or even have that kind of uh, ability to audit your your thoughts there is a, a big factor into how you can set your goals in more of a, uh, a realistic and fulfilling perspective. Yeah, I definitely completely agree there. Your outside factors play a huge, an absolute huge part in your goals. Yeah. A book I was reading recently, which was called Soul for Happy, comes up with the equation to that defines happiness, the, the happiness equation. And I actually really like this because looking at this and thinking about this, you can audit a lot of your thoughts because a lot of your thoughts that come in are generally very, very negative. Okay? Yeah. And when this comes down to actually setting goals and even achieving goals, there are things that could happen that can actually stray you away from those. So using this equation, it will hopefully it might actually bring some thought into your brain of how 
or does this equation, sorry, do these thoughts actually fit in and are they actually true? Now, this equation is your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should behave. Mm. So pretty much your perception of what is happening to you. Yeah. What's a good example of that? Would you say, let's uh, let's use that uh, example in the book, the uh, the car accident. Yeah. So if your car gets crashed into and it is completely ridden off, you're more than likely going to be pretty unhappy, right? Yeah. Because your car may be a nice expensive car. You now need to go buy a new one. But if that is your partner driving the car, they get into a car accident, the car is ridden off, and but the individual, your partner, is completely fine. You are more than likely going to be happier than if your car was parked and someone just ran into it and your car is now ridden off. Right. Even though the actual end outcome is the exact same in both of these situations. You both both situations, your partner is fine. Both situations, your car is ridden off. Right. How do you apply that though? Let's say, for instance, uh, in a realistic, uh, taking this into uh, reality, your car got ridden off today. How do you become happy about that? Your perception on on it is what actually decides whether you are your sorry your perception of it is what decides your mood afterwards. So your thoughts in this case, if you were well, if your car gets ridden off, you may not be able to control that. Mm. Okay, it's already happened. It is in the past. You can't actually control that. Sure, it may be an annoying factor, but the way you look at it is going to be a big thing here as well. You couldn't control that. It is done. It's right. over and done with. You need to move on. So let's also this so let's define happiness as not that, you know, feeling of fun and excitement. It's more of the uh, almost contentment of the scenario. Yes. That that's what we're saying is basically happy. Yeah. Cool. So instead of having to go like, oh thank God my car got ridden off and I wasn't in it when it happened, you yeah. could say it like like that if you want to um, put a positive uh, swing on things. But otherwise, just understanding that it, from a more of a stoic perspective, it's like, this is a factor that I had no control in. It occurred. Uh, there's no reason why I should feel this way about this. Yeah. That feeling being anger or, or damn, I now need to buy a new car. Now I have all these issues. It's, these are just now tasks or scenarios you now must, you've been thrust into and you just have to go through them. Pretty much. You're also, you've already gone through the pain of the car being ridden off, meaning the discomfort of that. Yeah. You know, not necessarily the physical pain, but the the mental, the emotional pain of it. If you prolong that pain by thinking negative thoughts, you are now just creating suffering. Yeah. You are suffering for longer than what is necessary. Right. Because there's nothing wrong with actually feeling angry in the moment because yeah. that's, you're human. That's what's going to happen. You're going to get frustrated. But then, yeah, as you said, if you continue that on, um, now you're just creating suffering. Yeah. There's no point to that continuation. Just solve the issue. Mm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and it's a good book to read. I haven't personally read the whole thing. I read a little bit of, uh, on it, but um, definitely something to go into. Who was uh, the author of that book? Uh, Mo Gordat. Mo Gordat. And I think uh, his perspective was he's basically just a very intelligent man, but lost his son. Yeah. Very intelligent engineer working for Google X who lost his son through a human error in a uh, in surgery. Okay. So, yeah, I guess through that entire struggle, he was able to kind of like manufacture like a logical response to 
how to actually achieve happiness in his life. And it's just more of a almost spiritual perspective of just you can't control everything outside of you, basically. Pretty much. Pretty much. Very interesting book. I definitely think you guys should read it. Uh, we I just realized we've definitely diverted away from our goals here. Yeah, well, let's, Mor- let's, let's, let's bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of that story, guys. When you're deciding on your goals, decide what is going to bring joy to your life. Decide what you will feel most fulfill- fulfilled, completing. Prioritize that. Yeah. Prioritize those, which at that point for Andy was dropping that body fat because he'd had a goal for many years of stepping on stage. Yeah, which... I'll talk about later because it didn't really happen, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) we talked a little bit about last episode, but uh, let's apply it to goals we have now because we now need to see what we have available in our environment to achieve said goal. And also will it make us happy? Will it make us fulfilled? So uh, let's talk about what goals do you have set right now? First, let's talk about the actual time domains we've got here. So yeah, yeah. Four weeks, right? Yeah, no, eight weeks. So oh, we eight have weeks. eight weeks starting from next Monday, which is the 27th of April. Okay, so Monday, 27th of April is when we're starting this. Mm. We have eight weeks. Now, in this, Andy is setting two separate goals, okay? One for the first four weeks, one for the second four weeks. So okay? the, the reason for that is uh, instead of stacking goals, which, which is what I naturally do, I don't want to just start dropping goals and just doing one for an entire eight weeks. I'm going to practice this system called chaining the goals up, which is flowing one goal into the uh, into the other. So uh, we'll talk about that in a second. What's your eight-week goal, Carter? So first of all, 27th of April yep. is when we start. We're going to check in on the 25th of May. That is Andy's four-week mark. Yep. Yep. I'm personally not completing any goals within that time. Sweet. Well, sure, they might happen within that time. That'd be amazing, four weeks instead of eight. But... The eighth week time is the 22nd of June, which is when we're finalizing and re- completely testing our goals. Yeah. Okay, that is the eight-week mark. Now, let's go goal. F- actually, I'll explain my two goals because I've got two goals here, which is sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum. And then you can explain yours because yours are a little bit more full on here. <laughs> my goals, my first one, I'm chasing the 500-pound deadlift. Reason why for this one, well, first of all, 500 pound, I know I'm not American. I don't normally speak in pounds. 500 pound just sounds cool. It's 227 kilos. I'm currently at a 216 kilo deadlift. Reason why I chose this one, one, I know it's a weak movement for me. Deadlift is not a strong movement for me. Two, I can do a lot of deadlifts being in isolation. Nice and simple. Okay. I literally chose this number because it's a cool number. It's something that I want to improve on. And I know I've got everything in my means to be able to improve on that. Number two, second goal, 50 strict handstand push-ups unbroken. I can currently do 47. So those three more, once again, sounds cool. 50 strict handstand push-ups is also a benchmark. I'd love to be able to do that unbroken. Mm. Now, I've chosen these movements because one is obviously a weight-lifted movement. Two is a body weight movement, okay? I'm not going into any more detail than that. I'm not going to actually chase any more goals than that. They're just nice and simple ones. I know if I improve these two, I am going to be improving in a lot of other areas as well. Right. And then, as you said, they're very achievable. They're not like really way out of the spectrum of obtaining in eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And again, they're what we were available, uh, what is made available to us. Yeah. Uh, For me, my goals are going to be a little bit more around uh, the first one. For the first four-week marker, I want to be able to run... Basically, 16 minutes, uh, 4K. Yeah. So it's a four-minute uh, four pace. 
Now, generally right now, I can hit around uh, between you know, roughly 17, maybe 18, around that, um, point, uh, around that time marker, depending on how I feel. I have never really trained properly with a an actual program, so I actually do have like a four-week program to develop this skill. And what I'll be doing during this is basically uh, posting a few things online. If you guys want to follow us, by the way, we'll be posting these goals uh, as we go out and uh, hit uh, milestones. So um, we're going to try to check in by, uh, what's the four-week marker again, the date? 25th of May, and hopefully, hopefully by then I've achieved uh, the four-minute pace, the 16-minute 4K. I want to, uh, yeah, so during that point in time, I also want to try one little thing, which is I'm going to increase a little bit more size around my shoulders to try to dispute the idea that you can't gain muscle mass while um, focusing on an aerobic S kind of goal. I realized we haven't actually measured that one. So what yeah, I reckon we... is we're going to measure that one directly after this podcast. We are going to check in when we check in next week with you guys, because we're going to be checking in weekly with this. When we check in next week with you guys, we'll tell exactly where Andy is at with his uh, shoulder width. Okay. And the goal is to improve that or at least as a bare minimum, maintain that. Okay, because in theory, aerobic base goal, a lot of people assume that you can't gain muscle and and build that aerobic base, that if you're a good runner, you're apparently also small. So we'll check in next week. We'll be able to tell you the exact size of Andy, which is huge. I'm looking at him right now. And we'll give you an exact number of where we're trying to gain it to. Yeah, we'll, we'll measure it as a uh, circumference around um, the shoulders, spanning the back. And I know there will be probably some other factors where increasing even back uh, muscularity on the back may improve that uh, metric of uh, shoulder width, but naturally that's what you would train anyway to achieve a, a more wider look. So we'll be uh, so I'll be trying to achieve that uh, around a one or two centimeter increase. Mainly, it's it's more just of any increase during this period of time, but uh, that coupled with the the sixteen minute four K, that's what we're going to hit uh, on the twenty on the twenty fifth if not sooner, but we'll, uh, we'll keep you guys posted on that. Now, uh, between the four-week mark and the eight-week mark, the idea is there, and this is all depending on how much body fat I've lost during this period of time, if I lost any, is I want to achieve uh, a more of a leaner look, and we'll do a proper test at this point of uh, how much body fat I have at four weeks, and then at the eight-week mark, I want to probably reduce around maybe uh, a one or two percent um, uh, decrease of body fat overall, probably do a DEXA scan for that, whilst also maintaining um, the uh, the aerobic capacity that I've built for the 4K. Yep. Oh, yeah. Let's simplify that one for a second. Zero to four, zero to four weeks, get a sub 16 minute 4K and improve shoulder width. Yeah. Four to eight weeks, keep that same sub 16 minute 4K plus drop body fat. The body fat that he drops will be determined by the four-week mark. At the four-week mark, when we test the first the 4K, he's going to take a DEXA, see where he's at, and then we'll set the number of how many, well, what percent body fat he's going to drop in the next four weeks. Yeah, that's a much more better way of describing it. Yeah, so we'll try to achieve that in, in the eight weeks overall. You, um, the, uh, the deadlift and the handstand push-ups, and we see if we can come out of this uh, stronger and better in those places. Yeah, yes. that's exactly it. And 
we're sharing this with you guys because we want you guys to help keep us accountable here. We're going to be checking in with you guys weekly, which is also a self-check-in method for us. So, yeah, you know, weekly, if we're constantly having to talk about it, we're probably going to have a higher chance of actually doing it, not just getting lazy midway through. So that was a big factor, actually, uh, even with trying to drop body fat for the uh, ICNWA uh, men's physique was I would go out of my way to tell people what I was trying to achieve so that the next time I saw them, that I could actually give them more of an update or a progression and I didn't look like I was just, you know, talking a bunch of smack. I wanted to actually be doing it properly and having other people, the more people accountable, mm. I was accountable to, the, the better and more likely I was going to achieve that goal. Mm. And so that's what we're doing with you guys. So um, if you guys have also goals that you want to hit in this period of time, uh, let us know and let's achieve them together. We can even bring some up on the podcast and, uh, announce them to everyone to help keep you even more accountable. Exactly. So if you guys do have some goals and you want to do them in the same uh, time domain as us, let's talk about it. Let us know in the comments anywhere, message us, and uh, we'll, talk, uh, we'll announce them and make you accountable on the next, uh, next podcast. Yeah. Uh, so wrapping that one up, choose your goals around your joy and happiness and your fulfillment. Around that, find someone to keep you accountable and definitely please keep us accountable. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. So last thing we just want to talk about is basically our top five uh, um, documentaries or educational series that we've found online that we've really delved into and uh, basically have helped us uh, look at life from different perspectives and um, they're just entertaining to watch. So uh, one of the which uh, is going, we're going to start off number five. And again, in no particular order, Carter, do you have uh, a number five? I like the Netflix little mini docu-series, I suppose, called The Mind Explained, which is very, it's short, sharp little episodes. I think they're around 15, 20 minutes long, give or take, that are specific around different parts of the brain and different parts of the mind. So I love those because it purely just explains a lot more about how your brain works as a whole. Again, that is probably one of my top five. All right. Nice. Um, this is going to be a little bit more of an older po- uh, documentary. It's not too old. It's maybe about, I don't know, maybe about six, seven years old. But it's the Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It's that sushi documentary about that. Um, the three-star Michelin restaurant in Japan ran, ran very small, ran by uh, a man called Jiro. I don't know his last name. Sorry. But the whole uh, premise behind that was uh, his mastery with creating just simple things and just practicing things consistently over time really gave me the perspective of what it takes to be a master at a craft. And it's interesting to see that how uh, he actually uh, planned his entire life based on just mastering creating sushi. And he did a, a banging job. And now he basically, I think, uh, charges you know hundreds of thousands of dollars you know for for meals in yen, uh, not in dollars. But it translates to hundreds and hundreds of dollars per meal, and they're like fifteen minutes long. I guess how long you'd take to eat it and you leave. But uh, that's my, that's one of my top. You got another one, Carter? Uh, yep. So personally, I also, so this one, I mean, these ones are hard ones because we've, we've all, we've both seen lots of little documentaries here, but I really like the documentary called Breaking 2. This one is actually a YouTube documentary. A lot of people probably would have actually seen this one, but it is around Elliot Kipchoge, the first man to break the sub two hour marathon. This is his first attempt at it, which was a failed attempt. That is a little spoiler there. (laughs) But they documented the whole process behind it. And I'm not going to spoil it too much, but 
he is a very interesting guy. And by that, I mean also a very amazing guy in his thought process and his mentality behind this whole thing. Interesting. So the next one is more of a YouTube series that I've been following for quite some time, which is called Vox. I won't go into too much detail because those series, they span across multiple different subjects and, and ideas, but basically it's a great little mini series that you can follow on and subscribe to, which is uh, all around philosophy, history, and just little things like that. If you're looking for someone just to kind of just casually watch, uh, they'll release episodes you know, once every couple of weeks. So they're a great little YouTube channel to get some insight on history, philosophy, and that kind of stuff too. Uh, do we have another one? Our final one, and I mean, I'm pretty sure we both really decided on this one, yeah. didn't we? So the Bill Gates documentary, which is that called Inside the Brain? Uh, I think so, actually. Um, I can't remember it, but it's on Netflix. And it's a four-episode thing. Yeah. That one I thought was great because inside probably, well, Bill Gates, he's an incredibly intelligent guy. He's obviously a like, multi-billionaire, very intelligent guy who created Microsoft. Now... He is just a very interesting character. The way his brain works and the way he he literally lives his life is very minimalist, but at the same time, he is super efficient and super effective. Yeah, with that kind of character, you almost assume he is doing everything in his way to become his best version, you know, uh, meditate and everything and eat healthy. But I think he mentions in the, in the documentary like his favorite foods, hamburgers, uh, a little like things like that it, just make, it makes you think like wow it's just really his thought process behind everything is just to really reduce resistance and, and make yourself more efficient it's mm-hmm. uh, it's very very interesting thing to watch and uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes from that movie was when he talked about how he would the, the thing that has been prevalent throughout his entire life was how he audited his thoughts that he had to ask himself the question whether or not if a thought entered through his mind, is it useful for me right now? And if not, he would just forget about it and move on with whatever was more important to him and his uh, his mission at that point in time. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. All in all, it was just a solid insight into, you know, one of the world's richest men's brains. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you guys are looking for things to consume at this point in time, you're bored uh, or just want to educate yourself on some outside knowledge on history, philosophy, and things of that nature, then check these ones out. They're pretty awesome. If you guys have any uh, ideas that you want to get our perspective on in terms of our top five or just a little list, let us know in the comments. Again, back on the goals. Let us know what your goals are. Let's uh, follow us on uh, social to keep track of ours, but we want to keep track of yours as well and keep you accountable too. So uh, let us know about that. And uh, yeah, I think we've We've talked for quite some time, more than we usually do. So let's wrap things up. Uh, any parting thoughts or anything like that? As normal, nothing. I feel like I've blurted them out for the past hour and a half or so. Sure <laughs> have, absolutely. Um, yeah, thank you so much for listening if you made it this far. Uh, give us a review on iTunes. And as always, be safe, have a great week, and we'll catch you in episode seven. See ya. See you later, guys.